and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. How was your conference? It was good, and I uh, quasi-made a friend. I was at the poster session and went over to someone I didn't know, and I had a nice long chat at their poster, and I learned an awful lot. And uh, and send them a follow up email. So that was a it was a win in my book. Good follow up. Yeah, thanks. And there was someone who I thought I knew, who when I introduced myself, it was clear they had no idea who I was. So I reintroduced <laughs> myself, <laughs> and so I remade a friend, uh, a conference friend, which is also which is also helpful. I will not yeah. I will not call them out by name. Uh, I think, but but hi whoever you are. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they listen. Uh, if they did, they would probably, they would probably forget. They probably they know me. who you were. <laughs> yeah, or not. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that was, it was also useful. So good science and um, a couple of good, a good friend connection. Good. So I think today we should jump right into a topic and, and dispense with all the chit chat uh, because uh, we have a good one that follows up from a previous topic. And that topic is, in the context of all the other things we have to do, what distracts us from really getting to work on our top priorities? And I think there are a lot of, um, well, just an awful lot of things that could go on that list. And I wanted to start us off with one in particular that I came across this week uh, that kind of got me thinking. So this is a story, uh, and I don't know if it's true. And I'm going to just pretend we can learn from it whether or not it's true. Uh, this is a story that it, it, it's on the internet, so it must be true, clearly, right? Uh, it's a story about Warren Buffett, who's a, a investing guru, uh, but it's about a conversation he had with one of his employees about prioritizing. And so it's a kind of a three-step process. Step one, write down your top 25 goals. Step two, circle the five that are the most important. And step three, you have the five to focus on, which are the ones you circled, but now actively ignore the 20 you didn't circle. Mm. And I thought this was great. So actually, so first of all, I thought 25, like, do I, that seems like a really long list. But then if I actually look at my, like, I actually have a list of all the projects in the lab and there are more than 25. So probably 25 is not uh, ridiculous for, for lots of people. Um, but then I, you know, I think the genius of this is that, what I would tend to do, and I think what most people tend to do, which is why people find this approach very clever, um, is, you know, you, you find your top five, you circle them and you say, okay, these are my priorities, but you keep the list of the other 20 and you're like, well, when I have time, I'm going to work on that, right? I can like Ooh, work so on it a like little bit or it'll like, it, I'll be thinking about it, you know, in the shower, if I go for a run or something. Or it's, uh, you could also use it as like a, a one out, one in, like I can't actively start thinking about this next project as I cross one off the list. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because you really, I mean, we only have so much time and attention. And so, you know, you got to finish off one before you do the next one. Mm -hmm. And so are you thinking about this primarily with regards to like your research projects? I mean, this isn't like, you know, is, is teaching a class one of those five things? Or are you just thinking about this in the, in like in the realm of your lab? Oh, I think it's both. So I think Okay, so let's back up one step. I think there's a bigger sort of categorical distinction in a way between like things we have to do that feel distracting and things we want to do. So mm -hmm. like, so for example, um, answering email largely for me feels like a distraction. It's something I have to do or I feel like I have to do it. 
And so I'm like, oh, I would like to manage that, kind of corral that so I can not have it be as distracting. So maybe that's being more efficient or scheduling it better or whatever. And that that's probably another topic. But I was thinking about this as like, you know, if I have some time to work on a thing, you know, it's not always one of my top five priorities. Like a lot of times the other 20 sneak in there for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's like, that feels like something that is totally under my control, like email or like administrative stuff. I have to do it. And like how I do it is under my control, but whether I do it often doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it is. But, but again, the research feels like I can really choose what to work on and I'm choosing to work on 25 things as opposed to five. And, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of explicitly, really, like given what we've talked about before too, like they all have different reasons why I'm excited about them. So, you know, I keep doing them. But the, but the, the truth of the matter is that th- those extra 20 are totally distracting me from the top five. Whether that's mm-hmm. worth it or not is a, maybe a separate issue. But um, I, that was, that was kind of eye-opening to me. Yeah. So I, I like that for the, um, for the exercise of like thinking about what your priorities are and like going through the process of, of forming priorities, right? Like if mm-hmm. you don't do that, you are likely to just dabble in 25 things poorly. Um, so I like it for that. Um, there is a conversation that I often have with my students when they're deciding if they should drop a class so they can focus more on their other classes or quit a club or anything like that. Um, and, and my take is almost always better to do fewer things better than more things badly, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of at odds with another general philosophy of mine, which is that being well-rounded is really good for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, it's finding that balance between doing enough things so that you are well-rounded and don't have all of your all of the eggs of your ego in one basket. Um, but at the same time, not doing more things than you're able to to do successfully. Um, so I like it. So I like the, you know, only focus on the five for that. Um, but I'm also kind of resistant to it for a reason, for, for, for some reason. I'm having a little bit of trouble um, figuring out why. I, I think it might have to do, I think it might have to do with um, kind of like, intellectual freedom it's fun to explore kinds of reasons mm-hmm. right that i feel like i don't want in the pursuit of efficiency to be to be incredibly locked into things um and i realize that i'm the one who is circling those five things but i want to give myself permission to if the spirit moves me think about one of those other 20 things mm-hmm. some no right i think yeah yeah no i agree and so <laughs> I mean, a lot of, I feel like this has come up before in our discussions, I'm sure it will again, is I have this cognitive dissonance, right? So I, I read that, I'm like, that it seems like really good advice I should do. And then I will promptly go out and leave all of those things on my list for exactly the reason that you said is sort of, <laughs> I want the, I want the freedom to do that. And that's part of the, you know, one of the nice things about our, our job is we, you know, have some options for doing that. But mm-hmm. I think, so I think in real life, I, I share that, but I, I think for me, it's useful to just to just let me know explicitly that there there is a cost to that. It's not free yeah, yeah. to keep everything on the list. And so if I'm okay with that, um, that's fine. As I've shared before, I often feel spread too thin. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, for me, like there are probably people who are only doing one thing ever, and they probably need more encouragement to, to broaden out and, and be more well-rounded. Um, but for me, I'm the opposite. I just, I think I just do too many projects and I'm, I, I want to make sure I'm doing them all well. 
So I worry that I'm getting spread thin to the point of not doing things well, uh, which would be bad. And so this helps me to, to focus because the point is, again, you have to say no to some good things, right? You're not Mm -hmm. like, write your 25 good ideas and your 25 bad ideas and only only do the good ones. It's like you write down 25 good ideas and you can't do them all. Right. Uh, And and that's, and I I balk at that. I I really don't like that, but I also think it's what I need to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a conversation with a student of mine a couple of days ago. Uh, Hi, Alexander, if you're listening. Um, And he was talking about his experience with cleaning out a closet. And the goal was to, like, organize the closet. And so he, like, took everything out of the closet and started putting stuff back in, you know, in, like, a more organized way. And at some point, he realized, as he was putting more and more stuff in the closet, that it wasn't possible to fit all of the stuff in the closet (laughs) in a way that was well organized. Uh And he was like, oh, the problem here isn't that it's badly organized. It's that there's too much stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And he brought it to me because he thought I'd like it as kind of like, you know, a metaphor for trying to do too many things and you can't do them all well. Um, And and I, I think it works here too, right? Like if you have 25 things in your closet, you can't, you know, the, uh, the, pro- the problem isn't the organization. The problem is just that there are too many things. Yeah. Um, and so this, you know, ties in nicely with what we talked about last time, too, of having to say no to things. Uh, and sometimes it's yourself. And <laughs> sometimes right. it's yourself and, the you know, the silly research ideas that come to you when you're in the shower, but really aren't worthy of a lot of time and attention right away. Mm-hmm. My postdoc mentor used to tell me, that uh, if he had an idea and he thought it was just a great, brilliant idea, he would always just sit on it and wait for at least 24 hours before he told anybody about it to just give it time to kind of sit and percolate and, you know, figure out if it really is a brilliant idea um, before even, you know, and uh, before like getting excited about it mm-hmm. himself mm-hmm. even. Um, and so I think I, I think each of these are kind of nice little thought technologies to try and help keep us from being distracted uh, by things that are shiny in the moment, but may not actually be uh, a good long term, mm-hmm. right? Things that are like fun to think about in the short term, but maybe not helpful long term. Well, there's kind of a couple. Yeah, there's kind of a couple categories, though. There are like, like, maybe you have 25 projects, and some of them are what you just said. So they're they're fun to think about, but they're really not going to develop into anything. And so you don't want to waste your time on it. Mm-hmm. But then... Uh, you know, I could have, not me, but but someone like you, Julia, could have 25 ideas that are all awesome, but it's the closet problem that you can't mm-hmm. do all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that that's important because it's very easy to delude ourselves or for me to delude myself and be like, oh, you know, I'm not going to work on the ones that don't have potential. I'm only going to work on the ones that have potential. And then you mm-hmm. end up with a closet full of things that have potential and like not enough time to do them all. So I think mm-hmm. it's sort yep. of like, again... Uh, not to not to kind of keep hitting this point, but again, selfishly, it's kind of the one I need to hear is is like that doesn't matter. That's a bad criteria. Like you have somewhere, you have to just not have too many things on your list. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to do them all well. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe for for some people, that number is bigger than others. Like maybe some people can do eight things well, and someone else can only do one thing well. Like I don't know, but like at some mm-hmm. point, you can't do a million things well, and so you have to kind of figure out where that. Where that balances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like your. Um, yeah, I do also like thinking about it broadly, though, right? Because there's like the narrow focus of within research projects that we've been kind of talking about. Again, you know, selfishly, that's where I think about this a lot. But then, you know, they're like broader, like in your life, like how many things do you do, right? Or like, um, 
as our daughter gets older, she's going to be doing more activities. And I, and I really worry about this in terms of like, there's a lot of good choices. And also I don't want her to be overscheduled. I want her to have time to, to play and to not be doing stuff all the time, doing structured mm -hmm. things all the time. And so how do we find that balance between, you know, being well-rounded and having lots of good experiences and also like having a closet that's too full? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I also really notice it in, in my own day-to-day -day when, you know, I sit down and I think, you know, I have two hours before my next meeting. Um, what am I going to work on next? And, and then the closet is full of not just research, but also, uh, you know, the lecture that I'm going to prep or, you know, an article that I want to read for my own personal interest or committee work or any of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in those cases, I, like, I, I cannot conceivably make a list of like the, the, the top five thing works well for something like research projects where you're like, here are all the projects. What are the ones I like? Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I can't do that for like, here are the classes that I have to teach and right. the committee <laughs> right. work that I'm doing and, and, and things like that. Um, Dear students, today was not one of my top five lectures and therefore I did not prepare. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't, I don't, uh, right. I don't ever want to say that. Um, but so, so, so the problem is, you know, a little more, a little more abstract in those contexts. Um, but the same kind of problem is there when I am sitting down to prep a lecture and there are lots of things that, that can potentially distract me from the important thing, which is figuring out the content that I want to convey and then figuring it out in, in the most, figuring out how to present it in the most effective way. Um, and with teaching, I often find it is, I will be reading some article to prepare for something and that article will mention something interesting. And, uh oh, now I want to <sighs> read that article. Yep. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, 15 pages deep on the internet with all kinds of tabs open because I found something that sparked my interest, but isn't actually helping me get closer to, you know, delivering that, um, to, to preparing the content that I had planned to prepare. Mm -hmm. Um, and in some cases, that's a direction that I don't want to go, right? I know I have a limited amount of time to prepare this lecture. I know there are concepts that I really want to cover. Um, but sometimes I love doing that, right? And mm -hmm. one of the things that's so amazing about our gig is that I can change the content of the lecture if I think the thing that I went down the rabbit hole to discover is interesting and worthwhile and, you know, make some important points that I want my students to understand. Well, it's more so fun to teach. It's more fun yeah, to teach right. about something you're interested in and excited about, right? And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit there. Yeah. And so I guess maybe it's the word distraction that I don't like um, because it puts a value judgment on exploration, um, right? That it's, that it's like you're doing all these things that aren't the one thing that you sat down to do. Mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes I really like doing that. That's, that's what's, you know, fun and playful about, about the, the kind of job that we get to do. Don't you think, um, so I am a non-expert in, in foraging behavior, but there's a lot of research on like <laughs> foraging theory, right? Where like, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the metaphor is like, you know, you're, you're, you're an animal, you're eating some food in one area and it's okay, but you could go somewhere else and it might be better, but it might be worse. And so there's all these kind of trade-offs and decisions about, like, is, you know, is it worth the value and time and effort of, of moving or do you stay where you are? And mm -hmm. at some point, if, if the food dries up, then you have to move, you know, that all these sort of, you know, kind of complex things go into it. Um, 
But I, I think, I mean, I actually do think it probably applies to our lives and our careers too a little bit, right? Like if things are really, really good, maybe you don't want to change stuff. But if mm -hmm. you never like explore, you don't know what, what else is out there. And so, mm -hmm. and that's where what you said, like the creativity, you know, you know, you, you might miss out on a lot of other things if you never look at those other 20 projects or never open yourself up to these new experiences. But at the same time, there's kind of a cost to, to what you think maybe your main focus is. So there is a, there is a kind of complicated trade-off, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and there are also impediments to getting work done in a, you know, meaningful and efficient way um, that I don't think are like the, the playful parts of a job. Um, so for instance, sometimes when I am prepping a lecture, I will find myself Googling and Googling and trying a million different things to find like picture that is perfect for like representing this concept that I want to represent. And I'm like, you know, eight pages deep in Google images or something, trying to find an image that's perfect for this and, and realizing that like any of these pictures are fine and the, the perfect one isn't actually going to make the point or, or be more useful than any of these ones that are just fine, you know, that it's really like uh, striving for perfectionism in a way that is unnecessary and not helpful and isn't actually going to help the students learn the content any better. Um, and those are the kind of things that I try to try to, you know, kind of fight myself to avoid doing. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll see your, I'll see your perfectionism and raise you one just because <laughs> at least yours is in service of, of like something content related. I often, I often um, show little clips from the office in class. And um, uh -huh. I try to, you know, sometimes they're related to content when I can, sometimes they're not. It's just a, you know, it's a kind of a fun thing uh, to lighten the mood. And, um, but I, you know, so I, I'll find myself searching YouTube for the right clip that I can actually find on YouTube so that I can then, you know, convert it and put it into my presentation. And, and okay. so in this case, there's like, like definitely no, educational pedagogical value of this is just like i get fixated on like oh i can't find the clip where you know where michael does the thing <laughs> uh but that's really the one i want you know and so um I, i've also gone down the rabbit hole of like maybe it's on page 18 of my youtube search results when it right. wasn't on the first yeah, yeah. 17 um mm -hmm. and that is you know clearly not really helping uh and yeah. yeah the the trick that i have started to do is i've like made a deal with myself that Anytime I think to myself, oh, this is a stupid waste of time, I, I try to just instantly stop doing it, mm -hmm. that I just have no patience for myself to do anything once I've had that thought. And and that works pretty well. Like if I'm, you know, really like, you know, fussing with the layout on a slide or something, and I'm like, Julia, this is a stupid waste of time. Like, you know what? That's my signal. I really shouldn't be working on this. Spend one more minute getting it as good as you can. And then you and then you have to be done. Mm -hmm. Um and that's one that's been pretty effective for me of just having like uh, a self-enforced zero tolerance policy for continuing to work on something. Once I've had the thought, this is stupid and a waste of your time. So what do you do um, hypothetically if there are things that you feel like are stupid and a waste of your time that are not that are not totally under your control? Right. So like um, I'll give a hypothetical example. Uh, hypothetically, a friend of mine uh, had submitted an application to the IRB uh, Institutional Review Board for um, a new experiment, and they sent back a whole list of questions that seemed ridiculous. Um, you know, so the IRB is supposed to monitor kind of participant safety and make sure everything we do is ethical and we're not 
um, we're not harming participants and, and we're using their time well and things like that. But, but occasionally I've heard stories that some IRBs will start asking questions like, oh, you're going to show your participants some words. Well, what are all the words you're going to show them? Because, you know, some words might be, uh, might be damaging or, you know, whatever. What size font are you using to show your words? Things like that. So I've, my friend has, has sometimes found themselves being in a situation of thinking this is stupid and a big waste of time and I'm being very distracted and yet like the, that thing still has to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, I have, a, I have a couple of things to say about this because I, uh, just, um, I just started serving on Carlton's uh, institutional review board. So I am now one of the people on the other side who reviews the IRB applications. Mm-hmm. And what I have been very struck by, so so before doing this, I was also in the same boat of being like, I'm just, they're going to hear words. They're not scary words. I'm not going to shout at them. They're just words. You lay off, IRB. Um, but since I've been on the IRB, I have been really struck at the lack of methodological detail that some that some people provide. Mm-hmm. Not everyone. Mm-hmm. If, if I reviewed your application, don't, I'm, I may well not be talking about you. Um, and the fact that, that people sometimes don't have a good sense of all of the things that could potentially be triggering or concerning for participants or those kinds of things. Sure. So I now have more, more sympathy for, for, uh, those, those objections. Um, so one thing that you could, that you could try to do, um, you you mean my friend, my friend could try to do, oh, sorry, excuse me. (laughs) One thing that you could tell your friend to do, um, uh, is, you know, try to reframe as it's probably, it, maybe it's not as stupid as you think it is. Maybe there is some, some good reason for it. Um, but of course there are some things that are stupid. So, so, uh, uh, Ooh, we submitted a paper a while back and it got bounced out of the journal system because we hadn't formatted something correctly. And I think that being very particular about formatting when a paper is first submitted is is silly and mm-hmm. as long as the information is there and it's accessible and it's readable you should worry about formatting later on down the road um and that i just i guess i just rolled my eyes about and and did it as quickly as i could um while taking deep breaths i don't right. know like i don't know <laughs> right. that, I have, that yeah. I have better advice for there's some dumb stuff mm. that you just have to do and, I know. You, and you just have to do it well i guess i guess right I, and obviously um Right. So what I, you know, what I suggested to my friend is, uh, you know, take, take a little break so it, and just, you know, take a few deep breaths and then just get through it as quick as you can. I, I guess mm-hmm. it's sort of like, but those little tasks that are, that feel distracting and sometimes don't feel like you get much out of them. I guess that's what it is. I mean, I sort of like, there doesn't seem to be much payoff for it. Like you need to do the thing. It takes time. It's not satisfying in any way. Um, and so it, it, those things can feel they are distracting because they take time, but then like emotionally and mentally, they, they sort of seem more distracting than the time warrants, right? So like mm-hmm. my friend with the IRB, maybe it only took half an hour to actually make those changes, which which is not nothing, but like it's not not days and days, but actually sort of the, the distraction almost lingers more than that, right? Like the fact that um, – my friend's story is being told on this podcast like months or years after the fact uh, shows that it, <laughs> it must it's, have really stayed with it was friend. kind of traumatizing right um in like a in like a, a a minor way right but like sort of just the the frustration of 
having to um, feel like jump through hoops for not a good reason uh, can be very distracting. And so I wonder, I don't know, I, I guess I just wonder if there are ways to sort of be more efficient with that stuff. So, you know, again, going back to like, there are distractions that we have total control over. Like if you're going to spend four hours searching for the right picture for a lecture, I I mean, that's kind of up to you, right? Um, You could stop, you could keep going. But then if you have to do a external thing for, you know, for the IRB or for a journal or for your department, um, you know, there might be situations when you cannot do it, but if you have to do it, like, how do you not get distracted? How do you do it efficiently? How do you like not interrupt your workflow to do those things? Because those things often come in unexpectedly and they often feel mm-hmm. urgent. Please yeah. do this thing in the next 48 hours or your paper won't get published. Or, you know, yeah. please respond to a week or, or, or the IRB is going to put you in IRB jail or whatever. <laughs> Wait, is that is that a power I have? That was not in my training. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here, I think I think we have it. I... <laughs> um, so the, the, the strategy that I've used um for that is, is that when I'm doing like my kind of like task management system and I'm like making my lists of all the stuff that I have to do, um, I have, I have tags for particular tasks. Like I have a tag called short and shallow, um, which is for things that are going to take me less than a half an hour that I don't have to have my like really good thinking mode to be able to do, um, that are things like, oh, I need to renew my membership to this professional society, or I need to you know, send somebody a link for this thing, whatever. That's like not something I have to think hard about. It isn't going to take a lot of time, but it's, you know, it's, it's short and shallow. Um, and then when I have an awkward break in my schedule where I'm like, oh, I've got 20 minutes before my next thing, or the person that I'm meeting just texted and say they're going to be 10 minutes late or something, I can just filter in my task management system and be like, Ooh, what do I have to do? That's short and shallow. Um, and that way I try to fill up those like awkward moments in between, you know, those like awkward mm-hmm. short times with tasks that are awkward and short. Um, and I find that that has kind of like changed how I have thought of those tasks. Like rather than being annoyed by them, I'm just like, Ooh, I had this quick little thing I'm going to do. And look at me crossing something off my list in this 10 minutes that would otherwise just be like, like dead time. Mm-hmm. So that's worked well for me. That's really good. I, I like the idea of, um, so essentially you're kind of pre-planning, right? Because whenever you organize that and you say, this is a, a short and shallow task, uh, you've already done that. So when you have mm-hmm. 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, uh, what a lot of people do, I mean, including, including me, uh, is I say, okay, I've got 20 minutes. What do I do? And if I mm-hmm. don't have it already figured out, it'll take me 20 minutes to look at all the stuff I have to do to find yep. the thing I could do in 20 minutes. And by that time it's like, it's too late. Yeah. That's been a, that's been a, a, a really, um, nice and efficient technique for me. Um, and, and also it, it helps, um, you know, there are some things that seem urgent because it's like, you have to do this in the next 48 hours. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to do it right now. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I find that the, um, the quality of work that I'm able to do at different points in the day fluctuates really wildly. Like my, my good thinking time is first thing in the morning. Like if I haven't had a good idea by noon, I'm not going to have one. Like I, <laughs> I really like that. That morning time is super valuable. And so as much as possible, I try to not use morning time for answering emails, doing any kind of like short and shallow tasks. And so if I'm like, oh, I've got page proofs that have to be turned around in 48 hours. Um, 
that is going to be easier for me to do on more sluggish afternoon brain than, you know, writing a manuscript or doing data analysis, writing code, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so those short and shallow tasks, I don't want to use my good morning brain for for doing those if even if they're somewhat urgent, I could use my sluggish afternoon brain for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. So I'm going to go back just a little bit to our kind of big picture discussion about like being distracted. And I don't know if this will help or not, um, which I guess, should that be the title of every podcast? I don't know if this will help or I don't not. Know if this will help or not. <laughs> I hope, I hope it will. Um, so a while ago I was, uh, we've talked a little bit before about, um, about this, this idea of sort of having like check-ins and trying to evaluate like with through an individual development plan or some other kind of regular check-in, like, what are you doing? What are your goals? What do you want to do? And, um, and so I had a, a shorter version of that, that I put together that um, I was trying to make something that was a little bit more like that made a little bit more sense to me on a daily basis. And so th these were the, the questions. I'll, I'll put a link to this in show notes. Um, so one list, what are the things I'm doing I would like to keep doing? Uh, list two, what are the things I want to stop doing totally or, or do less of? And then list three, what am I not doing but I'd like to start? And then sort mm -hmm. of think about how to, how to make those happen. And what I liked about this a little bit is, so for example, there are things that are out of our control, but it's worth just being aware of things we really don't like doing. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. again, kind of job focused, although it wouldn't have to be job focused. Um, you know, there are things that I just don't enjoy doing. And so like, maybe I can't stop it completely, but, but maybe I could do less of it. Right. So let's, I'm mm -hmm. just pretending I actually don't do much reviewing now because I'm doing a lot of editing. So I'm going to use reviewing as an example. The, that was something for a while. I, I actually, I enjoy reviewing, but also it took up a lot of time. So I might say, I'd like to do less of that. And then I could think of a strategy, like instead of, instead of my go-to strategy, which is like, say yes to everything pretty much because I feel guilty or it's interesting, or I want to support the journal. Um, <laughs> then I'm like, Oh, maybe that's, maybe that's a, a bad strategy. A new, a better strategy might be like, let's, let me review X number of papers this year or something. Mm -hmm, right? right. So it is something under my control, even though I don't feel good about stopping totally, I could, I could actually adjust it. Then there might even be things that like, oh, and this is totally made up. Um, but if there was a committee that I was on that I really didn't like, uh, and I say it's made up because I actually am not on any committees at the moment. So this is totally safe to say, let's pretend I was on a committee I hated. Well, rather than just grumble about it all the time, maybe I could think about how to get off the committee or right. Or like, maybe I could try to do, do less of that. So I mm -hmm. think being aware of the things that, do, so I would put those, so I would put those in the category of things that distract us that like are, we don't really want to do. So there's like the, there's the good projects that distract us and maybe that's being creative or maybe it's just spreading us too thin. And then there are mm -hmm. the list of things where like really no one wants to do them, but you kind of have to, but maybe mm -hmm. you could do them better or less or, or put them off or something. Um, mm -hmm. so actually I haven't, I haven't gone through this list myself in a while, um, and so I probably should, but I, I yeah, in the past I found it useful and it's a little bit open-ended and I, I like it because it sort of um, kind of goes with my gut feeling. Like, hey, list all the things you enjoy doing, list all the things you don't enjoy doing. How can you change it? Um, I will say, though, when I, when I, I, when I first put this together, I, I tweeted about it. Someone like replied, like, things I'd like to do less of are like stupid 
um, lift, <laughs> you know, like making these stupid lifts. I'm like, okay, thanks. Fair enough. <laughs> but you don't have to. So everyone wins. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it reminds me kind of like a course evaluation, but but for your own work life. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what is the course doing that you like? What do you want it to do that it is doing? Um, and I think, you know, maybe for the pe- person who left you an angry comment, this isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like if you're frustrated that, you don't have enough time or you're not spending time on the things that you care about, um, that that's a a really nice exercise. The way that circle the top five things is a really nice exercise. Um, just in terms of like making you kind of formalize what your priorities are, right. That it's Mm -hmm. very easy to just like start doing a bunch of things. And if you don't take a minute to think, wait, do I even care about doing this? Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Um, that you might end up, you know, realizing you've spent a lot of time doing something that you don't value or, or isn't worthwhile. So so I disagree with that person who doesn't like making those lists because at least for me, being being mindful and being strategic about where I'm focusing my efforts um, is, a, is a really um, is very important for keeping me feeling happy and fulfilled about about what I'm doing because it makes me do stuff that makes me happier and more fulfilled. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think I mean, for me, so maybe there are people who are completely happy with like a hundred percent of everything they're doing in life, which is awesome. And we should like have them be a guest on our show. Uh, I think for a lot of us, even if that's true for like a short moment in time, life changes. Like we have new responsibilities or uh, new family members or like health issues. Like I used to love to run and now, you know, I have problems that make it harder to run. And so like my whole, my life has changed. And so if I don't ever sit down and actually think about things, it's very easy for me anyway, to fall into new habits, which are like not optimal and just do it because I'm busy and who has time to change stuff. And so I think, Mm -hmm. again, for me, some people, I think maybe just naturally like are evaluating and trying to make things better, but I don't, I tend to like, I like habits and I kind of like to, you know, set things up and let it run. And so if that's not doing the job it should do, then I need to to realize it. So this is like an easy Mm -hmm. way for me of like, um, even just pulling it up now to talk about um, with you, Julia, like I haven't really thought about this in a while. And I was like, oh, I, mean, I put all the time, I put some time into this, you know, a few years ago. And now I can benefit from that instead of like having to reinvent this from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one line that I uh, heard somebody say, um, I, I don't, I don't remember what the source is, um, <clears throat> was every time you say, I don't have time for that reframe it as that's not a priority for me. Mm. Um, because if there are things that you really, really care about, you, you make mm-hmm. time for them. Yep. Um, and so just having your kind of knee jerk reaction be, I can't do that. I don't have time. It's like, well, is that, does, is that because you don't care about it? And if so, that's fine. Um, I, I really noticed this, um, when I was in grad school in 2008, uh, I started working for the Obama presidential campaign um, and spent a ton of time canvassing and training volunteers and calling people and registering people to vote um, while I was working on, I don't know, that guess that year would have been my master's qualifying exams, whatever. Um, and I realized that I had actually had way more time than I thought I did, mm-hmm. because if there was something that I cared about, I could devote a lot of time to that and still, you know, do grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have noticed it even more since having children mm-hmm. and realizing like that the thing that has done the most for increasing my you know efficiency, we've talked about this before, is like just having kids, right? That it's just like when all of a sudden there's way less time mm-hmm. that is not committed to something 
I make much, much better use of that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, both thinking about how things, the extent to which things are priorities for you and thinking really carefully about how to make the best use of, of the time that you have. um, That's a good way of, uh, of figuring out what's important to you. And for me, at least it's, it's really useful to make sure that I have figured out what's important to me so that I am filling that time with those things. Mm -hmm. No, I like that a lot. And I, I do, um, I mean, it's really useful because often for me, I will tell myself I don't have the time, but I do intellectually realize that um, it really is about what I'm prioritizing in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. And so I can always, uh, if there's a, you know, quote unquote emergency, like with work stuff or whatever, like something will that I didn't have time for will magically get done because because I pushed other stuff out. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can push that around with prioritizing. But but yeah, I think the goal is to find like a long-term way of doing this where you're kind of happy with um or, you know, that I'm happy with like the, the long-term average of how I spend my time. Uh, and mm-hmm. if I, if yeah. I find that I'm not happy with that, then, then, you know, I should change something. Like if I'm not exercising mm-hmm. and I say I don't have time, well, really it means I'm not prioritizing it, but then, but then someday I'll, I'll die from being out of shape and I'll be really sad that I didn't like do a better job <laughs> prioritizing. So like, I actually need to, you know, adjust some things to, to make that happen. <laughs> It's an ex- it's an extreme example, but I see what you're <laughs> was, that, was that too much? Was that, just, <laughs> was, that too, was that too real? <laughs> see, if only if only you could apply that to research. If I don't do well, you know, but maybe that's actually worthwhile. If you say like, what happens if I don't do the research project that's sixth on my list? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to kill me. So maybe I should prioritize exercising over right. project number six. Right. No, I, I I think that's that's valid. I mean, right. Exactly. One is life and death, and one one probably is not. Um, I, I wanted to just come back to one again in kind of a research context, though, and I I could be I could be off base with this, but I, it seems to me that a lot of people who are well respected in their field tend to do a more limited number of things. So you know, what does Doctor So and So do? Oh, she does X, and like, and there's sort of like a core topic that has driven. Uh, the research, you know, for for people who've been around a long time, you know, for decades, and it's sort of easy to see where the where the direction is and where the boundaries are, and it's also easy to kind of summarize at least some aspect of of the research in a couple of sentences, like a like an easy elevator pitch. And so it's not causal, but I do wonder about that. Is you know, is spreading spreading ourselves thinly? Does it make it that we can't achieve a a higher level of uh, I don't, I mean, success, I'm going to say success. I don't mean success in like a being famous kind of way, but just like scientific excellence. Right. So like if I do, if I do, if I do six things, um, does that mean I'm going to do them all to a lesser level than if I only did one thing? And I don't actually like, I want to say, yes, I want to say like, obviously if you only do one thing, you'll do it better. And I don't think it's that simple because by doing those other things, you often learn a lot about a lot of other fields and science is very interdisciplinary and there's a lot of connections. And so I think one, one thing that I really enjoy is finding how different little subfields uh, uh, talk together, right. And meet together. And so I can kind of learn from one area and it kind of crosses over to the other area. And I think that's really valuable. Um, or I like to think it, I tell myself it is. I mean, and eat like, even if we were to, assume that only studying one thing is what is necessary to be successful in science. Um, I still wouldn't want to do it because 
because, you know, being well-known or being respect, well-respected in the field is one thing, but like, it's really fun to learn about different stuff Mm -hmm. and it's fun to learn new things and new techniques. And I like training my students in a variety of approaches. Um, And so, you know, there's a balance to be struck here between what is best for my career on paper and like what's going to make me happy and, and feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's also, you know, my, my, my kind of reluctance about the circle, the top five things, um, I kind of, kind of feeds into that too, that I think, um, I mean, I, I hear you saying that you don't think you can only do one thing because there's all these different approaches that help you be a better scientist, but there's also just doing other things can help you be a happier person. Right. I, I totally agree. And also, there are probably personality differences that some people are yeah, drawn yeah. more towards one and the other. And probably it's helpful to have diversity of approaches and, and all that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it is a complex, a complex issue. Mm-hmm. Julia, we should wrap it up, but I have a, a very important question for you, which is mm-hmm. where can people find show notes for this episode of our show, which is episode seven. Juiceandsqueeze.net slash seven. That's where it is. Is that and right? That yes. is. He got it right. Great. And there's also a, a contact button. You can send us an email. We love reading your emails. So keep coming. We love your emails. Thank you so much. Yep. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to more of those in a coming show. And so uh, a challenge for this time, Julia, I think should be to throw one thing out of the closet. <gasps> Sound good? I'm, I'm, I'm think, uh, yes, sounds good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll take your pause as, as, as indication. <laughs> it's a good idea. <laughs> All right, Julia. Good All to right. talk to you. You too. Talk to you next time. All right. Bye everybody. Bye.